0: Well, welcome back to the UMMC Bible Study Podcast. We are going on in the book of John, specifically these nine cases that John uses to essentially map out our human condition. Christian, I have you here again with me. How was your week?
1: Ups and downs, uh, you know, still trying to find the Lord in every situation.
0: That's good, Christian. That's really what the Lord is looking for, At the end of the day the lord is everywhere and so we go through many things in life and sometimes those are plenty there's opportunities to touch the lord and if we're not aware we could miss them so i'm glad that christian you are looking for these opportunities and even today we will bring up a way to touch god a way to enjoy god well christian today we are moving on into John chapter four. And again, the point of these messages I want to summarize again is that these are nine cases that the apostle John selected to put into his gospel. This gospel is not written in chronological order, but rather John, when he was on the island of Patmos as an old apostle, wanted to emphasize nine aspects of humanity and then how god comes to meet each one's need last week we talked about nicodemus nicodemus was a perfect example of someone who is righteous someone who is very positive outwardly however even in this situation this righteous moral man needed god Because what the Lord brought out to him was that he actually needed to be born again. I think last week, Christian, we touched that it was not a matter of a good person or a bad person, but we had all been bitten by the serpent, as shown in John chapter 3. And our only way to salvation is to be born again by believing into him. And when we believe into him, God gives us the authority to be called children of God. And as children of God, once we have God's life, now we can actually see the kingdom of God. We can actually enter into the kingdom of God. We can actually discuss the kingdom of God. I think even last week we mentioned that unbelievers have such a hard time understanding what we're talking about. And we might, it might become clear to us, and we can't figure out why they don't understand. But according to John chapter 3, if you are not born again, you cannot see anything of the kingdom of God. Well, today we are moving on to the second case. So Christian, we are in John chapter four. Do you have the verses to read about this Samaritan woman?
1: Sure. I'll, uh, I'll start with verse 13 and go, go through verse 18 to start. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall by no means thirst forever. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not thirst nor come here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I do not have a husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I do not have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you ha- now have is not your husband. This you have said true.
0: Amen, Christian. So, a completely different person than Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a leader of his people. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, someone who had known the writings and scriptures of the Old Testament, one that was following the law to a T this woman is a little different. This woman was at a well when nobody else was. This woman was thirsty. The Lord approached this woman, which was actually not custom, but this woman had an issue. And so according to our format that we did last week, we are approaching these things as case studies like we would in medicine. And in a case study, the first step is to identify the problem. The Lord brought out something here which was interesting. He asked her to bring him her husband. Christian, why did the Lord ask that when he was talking about water?
1: Very inter- interesting interaction between the Lord and this woman. So they're they're at the well in the middle of the day and he asked her for a drink from the well. And you know, there's a little back and forth and then the Lord finally says, Well, you actually should be asking me for water because the water that I give you is a uh, living water, right? And then, so then she said, Okay, sure, uh, I, I'd like to try some of this water that springs up unto eternal life. So she says, Sure, sir, may, may I have uh, give me this water? And then, what's the Lord's response? He said, Go. Call your husband. So what what prompted the Lord to ask her to do that? Well, you know, she had an issue, right? So she she finally wanted to take the living water, but she had some she had some insulation between her and the Lord because she was in sin. She was in sin. She had five husbands. That's that's a real big problem morally speaking and so there's a little point of application there right as a believer and we'll talk more about this about living water but maybe I'll say generally speaking as a believer we want to come to the Lord personally or we get into a group setting and we're with other believers and we, we're kind of coming to the Lord together and then there may be a kind of an inner realization the Lord might say to us, go call your husband. right because that 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 thing whatever that sin it's not because the lord is trying to point out that we're a bad person but sin the, the problem with sin is they separate us from god that's the big problem with sin it's not so much that you did something wrong but it creates a barrier between man and god so anyway that that was just kind of very interesting uh, interaction there that when the woman finally wanted living water, the Lord pointed out her sin so that she could confess
0: it. Amen, Christian. That is a really, really good point. And it's like you said, she was stuck in sin. She had five husbands prior, and the current man she was with is not her husband, which, again, during that time, was definitely a big no no. And even today, we know that there is a lot of issues when people go through that situation. Five husbands, currently with a man that's not her husband. And so you could say that her condition was very different than Nicodemus's. Nicodemus's was one that was a very moral man. And we found out that a moral man who often thinks they do not need God, I'm not that bad, I do good things, I tithe, I give money, I do charity work, I don't need God. But this person not only needs God, he needs actually to be born again to see anything of God. The second case, this woman here, her big issue outwardly was that she was stuck in sin. She was an immoral person. And I would say, Christian, like you said, sometimes people who are immoral might feel like they don't want to come to God because they can't—they feel guilt. I can't approach God. Uh, or I've heard sometimes people say, once I get my act together, then I'll come back to God. But that is the surface problem. So that is her surface diagnosis. The inner diagnosis is... Which is what the Lord exposed here was she was actually thirsty. She was looking for something to satisfy her. And she started off with husbands. And she tried many husbands. Maybe, oh, this guy, he just doesn't match me. I made a mistake. I was young and I didn't know better. I, this time I'll know better. And she went to another man. And oh, no, this one, you know, I, th- I thought I liked money. I didn't like money. I like to be normal. That didn't work. Oh, I like this. I like that outwardly, it looks like she was stuck in sin because of whatever situation, but her core issue, the core diagnosis for this immoral woman is actually thirst. And Christian, I would actually second exactly what you said. Oftentimes, the reason we were stuck in sinful situations, the reason we can't maybe come to the Lord, a reason there's insulation is because we're thirsty. We're thirsty, and we go and look for water in other places. And this was actually prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah. You know, Jehovah told his people, you have committed two evils. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, which here Jehovah refor- re- refers to himself as the fountain of living waters. And he says, and you have you know, have you given yourself broken cisterns, which hold no water. So the situation Jeremiah was pointing out is exactly what's happening here you don't come to God, whether you feel like I don't need him, whether you feel like I'm covered in sin, God wouldn't want me anyway, or you feel like you're going to do your own thing and you go out and you hew for yourself, broken cisterns, thinking that that would satisfy you, that would satisfy and quench your thirst, but they're broken, a whole no water, they leak out and we're right back to where we are.
1: I think that's a uh, very practical, very relatable for a lot of people today i know especially in the us we're surrounded by all forms of entertainment you know all kinds of things and people are just going from one thing to the next i've had experience of that I, and i'll be the first to say and you're right the diagnosis is thirst and these things just are not satisfying right and the bible would try to convince us that the Lord really does satisfy us. Here in chapter four, it says you drink this water and this water becomes in you a fountain. Now you have a, a, a source of water in your being that can constantly supply you. So I think um, the picture there is when we receive the Lord and we're regenerated, when we receive the divine life, then we have access to God all the time. There's a fountain. There's a fountain in our spirit.
0: Yeah, Amen, Christian. You're exactly right. So you can, we can actually start getting into the treatment uh, of this woman's condition. And the first one is confession. And if you Amen, what God shows you instantly, His blood comes in. His blood comes in to wash us, wash us of our sins, and restore the fellowship. And I would say. Unbelievers, for sure, the immoral woman, they needed to confess to receive the Lord as their Savior. But even when you're saved, we still need a healthy practice of confession and washing and restoring. Oftentimes, we might wonder why our relationship with God is so dry. Why do we feel like we need to go do other things to try to satisfy our thirst? And that's because we are lacking in our confession, And in fact, in John chapter four here, like you said, once the Lord maybe even helped her confess a little bit, the Lord's like, go get me your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. And the Lord even was like, you're right. You don't, you spoke true. It's like the Lord used that to expose her a little bit, but make her realize that, wow, I I really need this living water. I need this living, I need the Lord. And Christian, actually, let's go on and move to the second part of um, six, uh, of chapter 4. Do you have the other verses?
1: Yes. I can read uh, verses 19 through 24. John four nineteen. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, yet you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men must worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming, and it is now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truthfulness, For the Father also seeks such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truthfulness.
0: So Christian, we essentially have the diagnosis in a moral woman whose deep problem is thirst. She tried to do everything she could. The symptomatology, the presentation is is that this woman has gone everywhere, done everything, To try to satisfy this thirst. And I like this little portion. She actually kind of quizzed the Lord like, Hey, where do you worship? Maybe even showing that she had tried religion. She had tried religion to see if that will satisfy her thirst. She knew a little bit about, well, this, this person should worship here. Maybe we should worship them. Maybe it's just I'm worshiping the wrong spot. If I can worship the right spot, I'll be okay. But the Lord coming in with the solution is that it's not about outward worship here, worship there, and this maybe it's not even not so much outward behavior that she is struggling with. The inner problem is her thirst. Ergo, the treatment is living water. And I like this portion you read here, Christian, and we'll stay here for a second. The Lord had talked about this water becoming in the believer or the person that drank it, a water welling up to eternal life. Some translations say a spring, something that is constantly flowing inside this person's heart. And this is actually tied here to this matter of true worshipers, which kind of implies there are false worshipers, but in 23. It says the Father is looking for these true worshipers. And what makes them true worshipers? Is it because they worship here in a mountain or worship here in a building or worship with their hands up or worship in silence? No. What makes them true worshipers is ones that worship the Father in spirit and truth. And it says here in 23, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Christian, let's stop here for a second because this is important. This is a treatment. This is how the living water gets stirred up. How do you worship God in spirit and truth? And maybe what's the difference between worshiping God in spirit and truth versus maybe what we think of maybe traditionally as what worship is?
1: Well, Tim, uh, the word worship is kind of uh, a lot. I think a lot of people have a lot of understandings of what worship is. But let's, you know, let's look at in this context. This the Samaritan woman had some religious background, some understanding, right? The Samaritans were mixed race with Jews and Gentiles. They were mixed. So they understood some of the Jewish ordinances and regulations. And she was right, actually, that one thing in the Old Testament is that the Jews had to go to Jerusalem. And that's actually uh, has some spiritual significance. But here um, the Lord points out to her, it's not about a physical location anymore. And he brings out true worshipers in spirit. And like you're talking about, like, what does that mean? Right. And and how does that apply to us? We've talked in the past about our human spirit. So again, maybe we need to repeat. Right, man, we have a body, we have a physical body, we have a psychological soul, but man has a spirit. And we we see that from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. So the key is our spirit. Here, it's very simple, the wording, worship in spirit. What does that look like? maybe we can have a little more discussion about that.
0: Amen. Yeah. Christian, let's stop here and discuss about what does it mean to worship in spirit? Because I think, like you said, this is important. It says here, God is looking for these true worshipers, which means they aren't common. They aren't everywhere. That's probably not mainstream. If God is looking for it, it's probably not mainstream. I like what you said there, Christian. Our human body... Has three parts essentially. The physical part, which helps us interact with the world, the soul, which is suke, which is a Greek word that means psycho. That's where we get psychology from. It helps us understand the world. Maybe it's our personality, it's our mind, it's our emotion, it's our will. But deeper in that part of our being is our spirit. And you could say that the spirit is the proper organ. To worship God. So, what I mean by that is here in John 4, it says, God is spirit. So, therefore, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What does that mean? That mean that would be like let me put it another way. God is sound. Therefore, if God is sound, you have to use a proper organ to touch sound. Right? That's just a hypothetical speaking there. If God is sound and I'm trying to use my nose to touch God, to fellowship with God, to work with God, that's probably pretty silly because we know the nose is the wrong organ to interpret sound. Even if the nose wants to try its best, you know, even if the nose practices to listen to vibrations and frequencies and things like that, at the end of the day, the nose is the wrong organ to listen to sound. The ear is the right organ to listen to sound, right? The ear can receive sound, it can interpret sound. This this is essentially the same thing. Our human spirit is something that was made to fellowship with God from the very beginning. And you could say that when Adam fell, that part was what died. When God said, the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Obviously, physically didn't die. Mentally didn't die because they were still thinking and making plans. But spiritually, something died that cut off their fellowship with God. And now the Lord is restoring that fellowship. And it's so important because if you do not restore the spirit, you have no way to worship God properly. If you restore the spirit, that's where the, actually, I would say, Christian, that is where the living water goes. That's where the living water springs from. That is where the worship that God is looking for comes out of. I would say, even based on the context of here, proper worship is to drink God as the living water in our spirit.
1: Yeah, Tim, I, I really like what you're saying. You're saying a lot about fellowshipping with God, coming forward to God, and uh, I I think that's those are good definitions for worship. Um, worship is not bowing on our knees. Doing some kind of outward ritual, uh, worship it, for the, the Israelites, worship outwardly was to bring sacrifices to Jerusalem. But what was the point of those sacrifices? It was to take care of all the issues so that they could have fellowship with God. Right? That was the goal. That that God and man could have that free flow of communication again so i I really like that where that that's going in this context with worship and so in order to have fellowship with god right we have to exercise we have to use our spirit we have to um engage this organ in our being so that's great i think a point here to appreciate is that as believers as one who's ones who have received the lord the Lord is always with us in our spirit, so we can always, anytime, have fellowship with God. And that's true worship. To throughout our busy days that we're just drawn about by absolutely everything, maybe we can take time, even moments, to just draw near to God in our spirit. And that renders true worship to God.
0: Amen. Christian, I think we will hold it here. So, and I just want to, again, echo everything that you're saying. To worship God only in the physical motion, like you said, just to carry sacrifices and move things around, that doesn't cut it. Right? The Pharisees were doing that plenty. The temple was going and blowing and there are sacrifices coming, but God was still searching for these true worshipers. Worshiping God only in our emotion, only in our mind, is also not sufficient. You know, all these Pharisees, they knew everything about the Old Testament. They even knew where Jesus was going to be born. They knew the prophecies. They knew everything like that. And I would say even today in modern days, there are plenty of theologians who are PhDs who have no clue about anything that's going on with God. That's not sufficient. Worshiping God in our spirit is something that, like you said, takes practice. So just like you can hone your hearing to make it better, you can exercise your spirit to make it more open to God. And one practice that I liked was, you know, when I heard this matter of worshiping God in spirit was actually what was mentioned even in the Old Testament of this matter of calling on God. You saw it in Abel. He saw an Enoch. He saw an Enosh. You know, at that time, man realized he was frail and weak. That's what the the name Enosh means. And what is man's response when he realizes he can't do anything? He cries out to God. You know, it takes time. You can't just like cry out straight in. You almost have to like calm down, calm your brain, calm your body cry out to God, and even cry out for a little while. But it's like at that point, then you almost, you don't want to say it's like a feeling, but you get the sense that there is some water that starts flowing. And then your conversation with God actually becomes very intimate, very personal. There is some time of confessing. There is some prayer. There might be prayer that's not about you, flowing out at that time. You know, you of course you have things, Christian. You have a wife, I have wife and kids. We have work. We have school. We have all these things that could be burdensome that we want to take to God and it matters to God. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes when you're in that deep time with God, what comes out is actually some prayer concerning what's on his heart. You know, his people, you know, his his work on this earth. And anyway, that's a practice that I really hope that our listeners get to do, you know, even this week, just taking some time in their Bible time and just spend about a minute or two crying out to God. And I feel like that will be different. They'll notice something is different in that way of worship. So, uh, but Christian, any closing thoughts you have?
1: Uh, let's continue, continue to enjoy the Lord this week in our spirit.
0: Amen. Awesome. All right. Well, Christian, next week we are moving on. I think we are going to John chapter 5. And we are going to speak about this man who was laying by the poolside. There's a lot of significance there. But again, Christian, I appreciate your time.
1: Amen.